Welcome back to episode number 107 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast where we're building a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney, and this is part two of the episode on the Dust Hazard Learning Review. We're going through the challenges identified in the report and the actions that we're taking at Dust Safety Science to be able to tackle those challenges moving forward. So in last week's episode, I gave a review of why the call to action was completed, how that process was done by the U.S. Chemical Safety Board, the reasons behind having this program or this project where they collected responses from individuals working in or with industries handling combustible dust, what the process looked like to do the assessment and the sense-making from the response that were received, and how Dust Safety Science was involved in some of the collection of these responses as well. We talked about the main categories and findings from the Chemical Safety Board report. This included barriers to improvement, things like normalization of risk and goal conflicts, engineering controls, reporting, language and communication, learning, and sharing information. Then we talked through some of the first critical challenges that I identified through my assessment report. So this included awareness of the hazard and risk, safety as defined as absence of explosions, having a safe place to share information. In today's podcast episode, we're going to go through the rest of the challenges that I had from reading the report and the actions that we're taking with the dust safety platforms to tackle these challenges moving forward and how you can get involved with that. As always, you can download the transcripts of this podcast episode at dustsafetyscience.com slash 107. And as I'll mention at the outset, a lot of the actions that we'll be taking to address these challenges will be done in the Dust Safety Academy, which at the time of recording, you can join for free at dustsafetyacademy.com. So in last week's episode, we talked about challenge number one, which was awareness of the hazard and risk. We talked about how normalization of risk, how this idea of a chessboard and every time we have an incident or you know you learn more about combustible dust, that's great and you do everything perfect, but you hit that, that clock on the chessboard and you sort of have a reset and you start to drift away from safe operation as time progresses. And we talked about some things around this. There were some responses to the call to action that specifically identified how this, this practice drift or this normalization risk occurs. And a really good response was that safety is a non-event. Think of it as a control loop with a much delayed feedback signal. Then the control loop starts to drift. Production is tangible and can take priority over safety. So that's how this normalization risk can happen over time if we don't have explosions that are causing injury or even if we're having you know, near-miss incidents that don't cause loss. Over time, we can drift from what the plan was to you know, some other state that's of practice or of work that is not as safe conditions. And because these are low likelihood events, low likelihood incidents over time, that can be allowed to build up and that hazard and that risk can keep building up until you have a catastrophic loss. So we talked about awareness of hazard of risk is this first challenge. We talked about challenge number two, which is safety defined as the absence of explosions. So the, the comment here was, you know, no one was injured, so what's the problem? Well, the problem is that we, we never learn from any of the mistakes that we're making when no one's injured. We never ask questions like, why didn't an explosion happen? Or, you know, why didn't someone get killed in that sort of case? And we can learn a lot more from those cases than the limited number of actual explosions that we record each, you know, month, day, and year. Challenge number three was around having a safe place to share information. We talked about how some of the responses strictly identified, maybe we need a place to have an anonymous reporting where people can ask questions anonymously um, share their fears where they can get uh, you know help with what they're doing and, and making their facility safer. 
as being a key driver, you know, not having the not having the safe place to share information and psychological reasons why people don't report or companies don't report these type of incidents or the challenges that they're having. So in this episode, we're going to go through the the last three challenges that uh, identified from reading the report and talk about some of the actions that we're going to take. So challenge number four is around language and communication. And this was actually kind of a, a fun one in one way, but also really serious. I think this this idea around language and communication is actually a really insidious issue. It lays dormant and some of the things we're going to talk about here, you know, kind of funny, but at the end of the day, I think it's really how we, we got to where we are with the challenges and perception of combustible dust. And a lot of it is around what words we use and what this does to our perception of risk. So there's a couple different words mentioned um, that are, you know, might be impacting how we see combustible dust and actually really impacting how it's used in, in the industry. But I pulled out three. So the first one is the word dust itself. In the report, they say, by referring simplistically to dust on a daily basis, we may be conditioning the workforce to underestimate the importance of this hazard. This may also explain why fires frequently go unreported in facilities. And the report goes on to say, though dust does not always, does not, may not always explode, the use of a more assertive term for dust, such as explosive dust, may help workers stay alert to this hazard and communicate it more effectively. We talked about this in last week's podcast episode, this maintaining a sense of vulnerability with combustible dust. When you see it as you know, just, a, just dust, the stuff that kicks around your house, you may not be able to maintain the sense of vulnerability. It's actually really interesting because I've thought about this a lot in terms of you know, why don't people perceive combustible dust hazards in the same way that they perceive, say, a, a gas explosion hazard or a liquid explosion hazard. And I think it really ties back a lot to this use of the word dust, this duality of calling it dust in industry and calling it dust at home. So both in ho- at home and at work, people don't routinely see dust as a problem. At work, it could be normal to have dust around. And at home, it also could be normal to have dust around. But if you had a, you know, a, a gas accumulation in your house or some spilled liquid, even if it was water, but any other sort of liquid, you would automatically see that as a quote-unquote upset condition. You know, it would be not normal to have gas filling a room in your house. It would also be not normal to have liquid inside your house. It would be not normal to be standing in knee-deep liquid unless you're fishing, <laughs> but, you know, in your home or in the workplace, generally it's not, you know, well accepted that's a normal condition and certainly having some sort of release of gas. It's just not normal to have that. But it's very normal to see dust kicking around your house. And unfortunately, in industrial facilities, it's also very normal to see dust, both combustible and non-combustible dust, kicking around. The challenge is when it is combustible dust, you may have, you certainly have a hazard and you may have a high-risk situation there. And because of all these psychological issues with seeing that as, you know, not an upset condition, seeing as normal working, this dust is allowed to accumulate to a level where it can become quite dangerous. So it's really interesting how this manifests itself. Even I, I think even in terms of process safety management and PSM, as you know, applied in say chemical industries and oil and gas industries, the word loss of containment means something. It means a lot. Basically, all process safety management, not all of it, but a lot of it is around keeping stuff in the pipes. You know, loss of containment is is a high hazard. Sorry, a high risk scenario. It's a it's a it's a near miss or an instant anytime you have loss of containment. You don't see that as an issue with combustible dust. 
loss of containment of combustible dust happens all the time and people don't see it as a problem. And it comes all the way back to it's not an upset condition at home. Why would it be an upset condition here? It's not non-normal at home. That's not a very good word, not non-normal, but you know what I'm trying to say. So then tying all the way back to the start, this word dust, maybe by simply referring to it as dust on a daily basis, we're conditioning ourselves and conditioning the workforce to underestimate the importance of this hazard. I probably should have said this at the outset of this podcast recording, but we're going to be bringing up a lot more questions than we have answers for in these challenges. Um, the action steps we're going to take are going to start to try to prevent, for provide rather some answers to these questions. But the the report itself brought up a lot more questions than we we know how to ta- tackle today. And you know, the use of a different word for dust would be one of these challenges that we have. So keeping on this theme of language and communication, um, another word that was brought up quite a bit was the word housekeeping. One of the respondents said, and this was probably the the one that made me laugh the most in reading the report, but why do we use the same term to clean the bathroom as we do for major risk mitigation? And the report itself talks a bit about, talks about housekeeping and the word hazard. So the word hazard comes from the 14th century French word for playing a game of chance with dice. This evolved into a chance of loss or harm or risk with the first English use of the word in the night in the 1540s. A quick search for cinemas on thesaurus.com for hazard results in peril, risk, threat, and jeopardy. The word housekeeping can mean the management of household affairs. Synonyms found on thesaurus.com include housework, housewifery, domestic science, and home economy. And the point that they outline the report is that the word hazard and the word housekeeping couldn't have two more separate definitions and couldn't be farther apart from each other. The word housekeeping just does not share any sort of sense of risk or hazard associated with it. It's even worse than dust. <laughs> At least combustible dust and explosive dust maybe have some you know, connotations of, of a threat with them. But housekeeping, until we started applying it to fugitive dust, has you know basically pretty limited threat. Maybe some slip, trip, and fall kind of hazard connotations there, but very limited in process and large loss incident hazards. Um, and the report really goes out to say that we, we need a new term for housekeeping one that more adequately affects the importance of this activity. Maybe dust control or dust control program, but this is something that we'll, we'll need to work for as a broader community because the term is so ubiquitous, but it really downplays the importance of this role. If we called it fuel cleanup, then we might get more of a, you know, more of a reaction from it. If you're going around cleaning up all this fuel at your facility or explosive fuel cleanup, you, know, you, you get a lot more response than, than not doing your staying up to date with your housekeeping program. Not staying up to date with your your explosive fuel cleanup program or something might be better. Anyway, again, I don't have the answer to this, but it's identified as a challenge in the report around this language and communication piece. And something that we're going to take a look at inside the Dust Safety Academy and, and maybe trying to figure that out moving forward as well. So the third word that I want to talk about is interesting because it's on the other side of the spectrum. So instead of being you know too soft of a word, it's actually too harsh of a word. And this was the word reporting. Some questions that they asked in the report is, is reporting the same as communicating? And does the term incident reporting or near misreporting actually inhibit communication and inhibit learning from these type of incidents? Several responses they mentioned in the report um, referred to this activity as whistleblowing. You know, is this a challenge? Is this a problem? If you're seen as whistleblowing, if you're talking about combustible dust hazards or trying to communicate about them, then that's really going to downplay the impact or downplay the, the amount of people that are actually communicating about this as a hazard. 
So in the report, they mentioned that we might need to replace, you know, the word reporting with one of the responses from the, the respondents was an open environment where individuals can share their thoughts and see improvements. They say that another respondent suggested make the information freely available, ensure there's no such thing as a stupid question, and there's no question that would be used to prosecute or penalize others. By replacing the formal report with dialogue and informal sharing of thoughts, workers may feel safer and be more willing to talk about combustible slash explosive dust issues. It's kind of interesting. I had not thought of this one before, but you know, submitting a report is sounds like a pretty serious thing. In a lot of cases, it is. But is this inhibiting our ability to learn from the contents of these reports over time? Or is it inhibiting the actual number of reports that are s- submitted? We'll talk about this a bit in, in the next challenge, but really learning, moving towards a learning culture where the goal is to understand how can we can improve as a community, how we can improve as a facility, how we can improve as a workforce, might be a better you know slant on this than, than instant or near misreporting. And one of the respondents had a, a sort of long-form quote that wrapped this all up around this language and communication challenge. So I'll read that out um, verbatim here. So the respondent said, for dust hazard to be properly reduced and or controlled, it must be presented as its own distinct issue, not an issue of tidying up the place. Although some may consider that controlling dust will do both, the mixing of these two concepts will only downplay the gravity of combustible dust. In order to effectively change the work culture, control of combustible dust must be presented as a purely hazard reduction or safety issue that has nothing per se to do with clean cleanliness. A control of combustible dust procedure should be developed that is distinct and separate from a housekeeping procedure. The reason for the separation is that the average worker sees housekeeping as a broad term addressing all sorts of cleanup issues. I believe that the reference to a housekeeping procedure for or including dust control will diminish the interest in it and the perceived value of it as a whole, since most people would see housekeeping as a nice nicety rather than a necessity. That was a really great response encapsulating these two first words that we were talking about, dust and housekeeping, as being challenging words that may be um, reducing the perceived hazard of combustible dust. So that takes us to through the first four challenges. We have two more left, and then we'll talk a bit about these action items that we'll be doing moving forward. Challenge number five was around moving from training to learning. And there's an interesting distinction here between safety culture and learning culture and how learning culture is really a key component of having a safety culture that the report authors talk about. The interesting part of you know having a learning culture is that you're never done. You know what you know today, and the goal is to know more or to be better or to do things in a better way. It really that whole thought process combats this normalization of risk that we talked about in challenge number one. If normalization of risk is this constant drift from work as planned versus work as completed, as stated by Dr. Ivan Pupoliti, then having a learning culture that's always thinking about, well, how can we do this better? How can we do this safer? Something's always closing that gap. It's sort of the antithesis or the, the opposite of this normalization of risk. So that's really interesting. There were a lot of responses that lauded, you know, effective training methods that we think of traditional training. I'll read a couple of these. Videos, PowerPoint, accident reviews, testing procedures. Testing and procedures are the most effective way to educate workers, said uh, one respondent. Another respondent said, we have annual training in wood dust safety, which covers dust hazard recognition, how to deal with them. But some of the response also went further and, you know, suggested some 
maybe what you wouldn't think of as your, your typical training over PowerPoints as alternative methods that we could incorporate to help move from this kind of training to, to learning scenario. So one response said, just showing a simple one to two minute video very easily creates a much higher awareness. Another response said, doing practical experiments that simulate dust hazards and take lessons from previous incidents. A third response said, learning, visualize the hazard, subjectivity and risk assessment directly related to normal system variability. So I think what they're saying there is, again, what I talked about in last week's podcast episode, of being able to visualize yourself with the hazard at your own facility is a much better way to increase that sense of vulnerability. And then a fourth comment, that learning from on-field specialists is the best way to check for problems, including in front of a field audience. So really, again, learning for someone that... So instead of having a general combustible dust training that's an hour long and you take and then you, you know combustible dust, focusing more on specific training that's the largest relevance to what you actually do day to day is a much more effective outcome to move to learning about what you're doing rather than just having you know these one one hour um, training webinars. Now the one hour training webinars are very good for awareness tools and to get the basics, but you really need to have you know on field or relevant to your situation training to be able to, to move from this training to learning. So there's a couple other things here. I mean, moving from demonstrating that we're learning what we're being trained on is a really important thing. So the, the question, you know, are we actually learning at the end of the day? We've all done it. You sit through this you know, training program and you, you listen to a couple of uh, half an hour webinars and at the end of it, you know, you've tuned out the whole thing or you've been on your phone or you're just not paying attention. Have you really learned in that case? And we're going to be doing more of this in the Dust Safety Academy where we actually have learning modules with learning outcomes. We'll have you know short, simple tests based on that learning to prove that it was actually retained um, and then providing things like certificates and that from the learning assessments just to move, again, from this idea of moving from training to learning. The other side of the coin here is to avoid forgetting. So learning's great, but are we forgetting faster than we learn? This is a challenge. This is something I've seen in combustible dust overall where we have these cycles of you know spikes of incidents and then spikes of learning, and then it just goes down over time. And we actually forget all the things that we learned. Uh, this is really going into the Dust Safety Academy in terms of having our downloadable resource library and the video library. We're trying to pull that past information forward. If there was a good checklist created, if there was a good you know training module or something created that's already out there and consumable but was created four years ago or 10 years ago or 40 years ago, we want to have that all in one place so that we're not forgetting this information faster than we learn it. And we see this time and time again with instant reporting. We see this with you know, case studies that are 100, 200 years old and having the same outcomes, the same conclusions drawn as the case studies that we have from last week. So you know, are we learning from our training? Is that one? And then are we forgetting faster than we learn? That's also a challenge that we got to deal with as well. So that brings us to the sixth and final challenge that I'll talk about in this episode, which is breaking goal conflicts. So it's kind of interesting this was brought up in the report. Um, I'll read some of the quotes from folks that responded. So one is that some customers fear that when they start understanding the issue, they'll need to comply fully and the cost will be too high to sustain competitive position in the industry. Another response says balancing the cost of doing everything they can do to reduce risk and reduce risk as much as their budget will allow as being a challenge. Another response said that safety choices are based on fear of efficiency, not fear of the danger of the incidents. 
The report itself goes on to emphasize this by saying that goal conflicts are not easily resolved. Companies are not endowed with limited resources, limitless resources rather, and economic considerations are a very real concern. A sense that, and this is a quote from a respondent, a sense that the cost of full compliance is too high to sustain a competitive position is a challenge. While the two most common goal conflicts named by respondents were between safety and cost and safety and production, other goal conflicts are known to exist in most complex work environments. Further research is needed to fully map and understand these goal conflicts. So this is sort of left as an open-ended challenge in the report. This is one that I, be honest, personally struggle with. And the reason is coming back to this concept of a learning culture. So if we have a you know goal conflict, if we were a learning culture, and we had developed that ability as the as you know the combustible community or local companies, um, local organizations to to say, well, you know, from where we're at today, how can we be better? How can we learn more? If we have this learning culture, then I think if we ran into a goal conflict, we'd start asking questions. We start asking questions like, can we pick different goals? What assumptions are we making in setting up these goal conflicts? And can these assumptions be questioned or broken? What would the learning culture do with goal conflicts? You know, could they just say that, you know, while well, this is enough, things are balanced, um, we've made it safe enough as we can do that we can afford right now. Or there are other ways, you know, would they look at it and, well, okay, well, this is where we're at. Are there ways to improve? And I don't know the answers to these questions, but I am willing to ask the questions. So every time I hear about, you know, a piece of safety equipment being too expensive, my mind goes, well, can we create cheaper equipment? Not cheaper in that it doesn't work as effectively. Something that works as effective, but it's just a lower cost for users. <laughs> you know, if we could do that, then maybe we can break that cold conflict. So I think this is something that as a broader community, we can start to talk about more, but these walls that get put up and stood up in front of improving safety, are there ways to tear those down by breaking these coal conflicts? And the, the gut wrench first response might be no. <laughs> and I would say if we're a learning culture, that can never be our first response. So if you develop this learning culture, then we can start to look at, well, okay, maybe there's some sort of assumption here that we're making that is standing up this wall, this barrier between these two goals. Can we have you know, our pie and eat it too, as they say? And in a lot of very specific circumstances, there are cases where we can do that. And we'll try to bring those on the podcast more, more often, and we'll definitely talk about them in the Dust Safety Academy as well. So that one might be uh, disagreeable to some people that are listening, but uh, I tried my best to, to explain my position. Um, anytime you stand up this hard no wall in the middle of something that it just, you know, it's too expensive and we can't do it, then raises my hair a little bit because I want to say, well, okay, well, let's figure out a way to move forward that does meet these goals, or maybe we need to change our goals at the end of the day. So those are just some ideas there. So that's it for the challenges from the report. Uh, I'll walk through them again. They were challenge number one, awareness of the hazard and risk. Challenge number two, safety defined as absence of explosions. Number three, having a safe place to share information. Number four, language and communication. Number five, moving from training to learning. And number six, breaking goal conflicts. So to close out this episode of the podcast then, I want to talk about some key action items that I'm taking and then we're taking at Dust Safety Science to start the ball rolling on some of these challenges. I'm going to talk about three of them specifically here to to close out this podcast episode. So the first, I mean, it was said in the report multiple times, sharing is a challenge um, and learning is a challenge. 
is you know the most frequently referenced things, and that's why we really have went to great lengths to reconfigure the Dust Safety Academy over the last couple months at the time of recording. Time this episode comes out, it will be um, up and running fully in its new form. We really put elements in there to help with sharing and learning. So in terms of sharing, we have you know public sharing. There's a community form in there. It's free. If you go to dustsafetyacademy.com today and sign up, you can access to the community form, the community help desk, the Find Professionals portal, the downloadable resource library, the video library, and our live training sessions. There's no reason not to be in there. But we tried to include these things so that it can be this global learning and sharing system or center. So in terms of sharing, we have public sharing with the community form, but we also have private sharing. There's a community help desk in there that is a conversation just between you and myself. Nobody else can see it. So this is a great place to go ask questions if you don't know the answer or something or if you want the answer. We get uh, asked about 70 to 100 questions a year, I think, via email. And chances are the questions you're going to ask, we've already been asked and try to find the resource for and provide answers for. So that's the whole point of that, that help desk is if you have a question, ask it. We'll do our best to provide the answer. And if we don't know the answer, then we'll, we'll find somebody that does. This is also, we're going to develop into a great place to do things like safety shares, anonymous incident sharing, a place where you can go and share things in private with myself. And we can, as an option, make it anonymous and provide it out to the broader community in the community forum. Or we can do a podcast episode on it more anonymously or whatever. But it gives a, a private sharing option to share incidents, share concerns, share fears, and get your, your questions answered. So that's built right into the Dust Safety Academy. And then in terms of sharing, we also have the live training portal. So we've done a lot of training from experts here. But we're going to move to having much more, and we'll talk about this um, towards the end of this you know key driver section, but success stories, getting helpful information out there and sharing what's actually going on in different industries handling combustible dust so that they can learn from each other. In terms of learning, I mentioned this already, but not forgetting what we already know. So that's why we have the downloadable resource library. That's why we have the video library included in the free Dust Safety Academy so that we can have a place where people can find this information. If you underestimate the um, hazard of grain dust explosions, there's reports from the 70s and 80s that show, I think, a year with 60 or 70 fatalities in one year from grain elevator explosions that had you know dozens of explosions in, in one year. And for a couple of year period, and that's what caused the OSHA grain handling standard to be implemented. Now today you might think, well, you know, a grain dust explosion in an elevator can't happen. Hopefully you don't if you listen to this podcast because we talked about it. But there's 100 page reports written during that time that talk about the hazards and talk about what they saw. And a lot of that's been lost to the history book. So that's the whole reason of putting this downloadable resource library into the Dust Safety Academy so that we can not forget that information that we already know. We'll be populating that over time. In addition, we really want to take this idea of focusing on learning over training, focusing on developing this learning culture as a global community. In terms of what that means for the courses and things we'll be developing inside the, the premium membership inside Dust Safety Academy, we're developing courses that have very specific outcomes, broken up into modules that have mini tests, you know, throw it or at the end and provide certificates, really ways to demonstrate that we are learning uh, what's available inside the the training offers there. We want to demonstrate that the information is being retained and applied within industries. In addition to that, we want to focus on multiple modalities. So not just your standard talking over slides webinars. Videos, audios, interviews with people that have been involved with previous incidents. 
integrating all these into a more interactive learning system for combustible dust safety. Again, this will all be available inside the premium membership for Dust Safety Academy. We'll have these course modules go out and we'll have all the replays of all the training that we've done that is all available for, for one annual price inside the Academy or available for one annual price today inside the Dust Safety Academy. The second action item that we're going to take, and this will probably start in, I'd say, you know, mid-2021, maybe even early 2021, but we'll have our, our digital dust safety conference running then, so it may be hard to organize too many of these. But they're global working groups and global focus sessions. So what I mean by working group is actually coming up with a group of people that are tackling some of the bigger challenges that we're seeing. Things like, you know, maybe firefighter response to combustible dust incidents working towards a global incident sharing system, whether or not that's anonymous or not, um, really having a representative in multiple countries or in each country that is the point of contact for the incident sharing, this would be a much more effective way to and have them maybe meet once a quarter to have this global working group on you know what we're doing, what the Chemical Safety Board is doing, what other groups are doing on this incident reporting and to, to collect those up. So developing of these global working groups and then also global focus sessions. I don't know what this is going to look like. Actually, I don't know what the global working groups are going to look like either. But I can imagine just having you know a, a call where we get everyone in the Dust Safety Academy on and talk for an hour on things like terminology, near misreporting, breaking goal conflicts, and coming up with ideas on how we can fix this. What's a better word for housekeeping? What's a better word for dust? Are there words in different languages that we could borrow and come up with better solutions within the English language. Oh, there's a bunch of ideas there, but these are really ways within the Dust Safety Academy that we're going to be tackling these bigger challenges that we found throughout the Account Safety Board report and through our work over the last uh, five years in combustible dust safety. Then the last of these is really the, the Global Summit. So this for us is the Digital Dust Safety Conference. This is where we bring together experts from around the world and hundreds of folks that are in industries handling combustible dust every year to talk about what's happened the previous year, to talk about lessons learned, to talk about sharing success stories, which we'll talk about in a second, and just getting a central location for all this information to be shared um, across the world for combustible dust safety. And then closing out the last action, and this one you've heard me talk about before, but I think it's even more important now than it was then, and it's going to continue to be important, is sharing success stories. So we do hear a lot about failures, something happened, and you know, a mistake was made and, and now we have a large loss incident. But sharing success stories is a much, you know, equally important, probably more important way forward for combustible dust. We've done this a bit on the podcast recently. In episode 105, we had Corey Gardner on talking about a safety share for testing of high-speed port gates, how they found some challenges with their high-speed port gates before an incident happened. Talked with David Murray from the Manufacturing Advisory Group in episode 98 of the podcast on the things that they're doing there in terms of uh, SIF potential, so serious injury fatality potential, trying to find leading indicators for large loss incidents, reporting on those within their industries that they're working with, and using that then to drive change in those industries. This is exactly fits with the type of challenges that we've identified in this podcast episode, so happy to share stuff like that out. By episode 64, we talked with Jess McClure from the National Grain and Feed Association, the success they had there. Monica Ramonato in episode 82 of what she's doing for combustible dust safety in Brazil. So really highlighting these success stories is important for the podcast. We really want to start integrating those as well into the Dust Safety Academy and the work that we're doing there with training and learning and education as well.
So that's it for this review of the Dust Hazard Learning Review from the Chemical Safety Board. Again, this was a report that was created by the CSB, as well as the, the researchers that, that helped um, Dynamic Inquiry LLC, which includes Krista Vessel and Dr. Ivan Puppoliti. In the last two podcast episodes, we talked about why was the call to action completed, what did the process look like. We talked about six challenges that I personally pulled out of the report. Awareness of the hazard and risk, safety as defined as an absence of explosions, having a safe place to share information, challenges in language and communication, moving from training to learning and breaking goal conflicts. And we talked about some of the actions that we're taking at Dust Safety Science and across our Dust Safety platforms to address these challenges. So one is just creating this global learning and sharing center, really reconfiguring the Dust Safety Academy to include elements from this project and from this work that we can use moving forward creating global working groups, global focus sessions, um, and of course our global summit at the Digital Dust Safety Conference, and moving towards highlighting more success stories in industries handling combustible dust. As always, you can download the transcripts of this podcast episode at dustsafetyscience.com slash 107. All of the resources we mentioned, I think there is at least eight or nine of them, you know, including the Chemical Safety Board's Call to Action for Combustible Dust, including the Dust Hazard um, Learning Review Report, and a lot of the information that was published through the Chemical Safety Board. Um, we'll have all those links to all those resources at dustsafetyscience.com slash 107. If you're interested in being involved in the Dust Safety Academy, this is really where we're going to be doing these things like global working groups and global focus sessions. We have the private communication there, the anonymous reporting, the public community forum to share lessons learned. Um, that's going to be the main platform for doing a lot of these things moving forward. So if you're interested in that, you can join for free or at least at the time of Recording this podcast episode, you can join for free at dustsafetyacademy.com. If you have any questions, comments, feedback, want to be involved, and you join the Dust Safety Academy and can't get a hold of me there for some strange reason, which you should be able to, I'm in there every day, you can always email me at chris at dustsafetyscience.com. I'd be happy to talk through your experience and what you're seeing as well. So that's it for this week, um, and that's it for this review of the Chemo Safety Board's Dust Hazard Learning Review. As always, I want to thank you for listening to Dust Safety Science Podcast um, and appreciate everything you're doing for industries handling combustible dust, making them safer around the world every day. Mm-hmm.